Hello everybody, welcome to the Undisputed Future Podcast, episode 66. Thank you for listening, I am the voice that is your choice, CD, Danny Mac, bringing you another episode of the show. Thank you for joining me after an amazing, incredible, outrageous, energetic, there's too many adjectives to really lay it out on the line, SummerSlam and TakeOver Weekend was incredible. Shout out to everybody I saw at McMahon's Pub over before the TakeOver broadcast and a couple hazy memories after that. Unfortunate circumstances for SummerSlam, but long story short, in the Barclays Center, four days, crazy days worth of mayhem and wrestling action. I could not thank everybody enough. Thank you for taking a card. If you took a picture with my NXT Replica Championship and you're out there listening to the show for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to Team NXT. Team NXT, we are here to discuss TakeOver Brooklyn 4, a show and a match card with plenty of ups and downs behind it, but the energy in the Barclays Center was always at a high. I watched it both live and on television and the energy came across pretty much parallel on both mediums. Being there live, the energy and the atmosphere of the Barclays Center, it's hard for me to sit here and put that into words for you, but I've been doing it for four straight years. Not a single time has it died down. I did not feel any year was less quality or less hyped than the other. All TakeOver Brooklyn has been incredible to attend. Four years running and second show's worth of a TakeOver recap. So let's get this thing started. I'm going to bring you all of the action from Brooklyn, including the TakeOver pre-show, post-show, as I deem it. Um, All things considered, it was Deanna Parazzo and Bianca Belair in a high-stakes women's matchup, and the UK Championship also on the line between the Bruiserweight Pete Dunne and UK Championship 2 winner Zach Gibson, winner of the second tournament, hoping to be the UK's number one. Two matches to really get the crowd hyped up and amped for the TakeOver card, but would thus be broadcast afterwards on the following week of NXT television. But let's recap TakeOver. The NXT tag team titles up for grabs between the Undisputed Era and Mustache Mountain once again. I love when the tag team titles kick off a TakeOver event. It seems to be kind of a standard practice at this point because of how much the tag team chemistry has been able, has been able to go out there, lay it all out on the line with wrestling and enthusiasm and technical masterpiece, a technical spectacle between both teams once again after their five-star at full sale. Overwhelming support for the Undisputed Era in the Barclays Center. Everywhere you look, there was either an Adam Cole Bay Bay shirt or a three-man Undisputed Era shirt of Cole Strong, Cole O'Reilly, and Fish, minus Strong, and of course the newly deemed Foursome logo going on with Roderick Strong added. So lots of Undisputed Era merch to choose from, lots of it displayed in the Brooklyn crowd, and I myself personalized a Team NXT t-shirt for Brooklyn-bound Bay. and if you ordered one of those, they should have been shipped out way before SummerSlam, so uh, shout out to anybody participating in my Teespring campaigns. But the... Dis- All of the merchandise sales aside, the support for Mustache Mountain is there. New York just had Progress Wrestling waltz through the neck of the woods. The U.S. Tour for Progress, a huge success as an outsider looking in, unfortunately not able to make any of those events, but these guys have toured in the area recently. We saw other members of the NXT UK circuit there, but Mustache Mountain and Pete Dunne, all of British Strong Style, participating heavily in Progress Wrestling. So the area is familiar with Trent Seven and Tyler Bate, and uh, the support was definitely out there as well. Lots of dueling chants for this one. Lots of ways to get the crowd hyped to start off this TakeOver card. The chemistry is unbeatable. I don't know how much time these guys have spent prior to this rivalry training with each other, but the styles have complemented each other. The tag team chemistry, no matter what combinations even of singles matches you put the Undisputed Era and British Strong Style, we know the chemistry between Roderick Strong and Tyler Bate. They've had a couple matches with each other, even going back to a previous TakeOver event 
taping this year in Philadelphia. But you put Kyle O'Reilly and Trent Seven in there. Those guys are also beating the hell out of each other. And you remember that knee bar that sealed Undisputed Era, their second reign with the NXT Tag Team titles. The tandem offense would triumph on both sides. But Tyler Bate would showcase his own strength on both members of the Undisputed Era with a great fireman's carry, big-time swing. The strength of Tyler Bate is all plant-based, and it's all very impressive. Shout-out to any of the vegan wrestlers out there. I know it's a, it's a great growing movement that I first identified with Austin Aries and Kimberly. So, uh, Tyler Bate, and I think all of British Strong Style actually participates in that lifestyle. So more power to you for reducing the carbon footprint. Let's go back to the actual in-ring action, shall we? Signature spots all around, the high-flying from Tyler Bate, the bouncing off the ropes he does, the Trent Seven, seven-star lariat, I love the imitation, quote-unquote, backflip from Bate and Senton by Trent Seven. The offense is incredibly unique, and I could go on and on about the tag team chemistry. Lots of back and forth, a submission, a submission breakup, it's just, it's not an NXT tag team title match unless you have the dual submission in the middle of the ring with the incredible feat of strength into some sort of power bomb or shove tackle maneuver. Signature spots all around. The, ta- the apron pull from one side of the ring to the other. You notice a few commonalities in these NXT tag team title matches at TakeOver events, but the storytelling is in the eyes of the beholder. And, of course, with the competitors in the ring. And Mustache Mountain and Undisputed Era know exactly how to do it. The Tyler Driver to Roderick Strong had me fooled. I thought with all the high-octane offense, I thought all the momentum was with Mustache Mountain. And as soon as that hand did not hit three, I nearly jumped out of my seat into the second row in front of me. Actually, the first row in front of me. I forget where I was sitting. I was sitting at a different spot for TakeOver than I was at SummerSlam. TakeOver, Raw, and and SmackDown, if you go all in on those uh, ticket packages, it uh, seemed to be very cost-effective if you feel like spending all the time in Brooklyn that I did. But very similar to the Trent 7. I'm so excited to talk about this spot again. Similar to the Trent 7, absolutely incapacitated knee. This match, Tyler Bate would be on the lower end offense and then and then the, after the relentless assault by the undisputed era after the submission and you could see the pain on Tyler Bates face and you see Trent extending out for that tag or about to make up the breakup even though in every other tag team match possible throughout the WWE you see more than one save the rules are incredibly enforced when it comes to Mustache Mountain versus Undisputed Era, because Trent Seven was denied breaking up the submission, just like Tyler Bate was denied the breakup in their first match. And then while all of the controversy and the tension is building between referee and Trent Seven in the corner, you see Roderick Strong pulling Kyle O'Reilly closer to the Ever's corner, and you think it's over. You see Trent Seven go out to grab the towel, and you think there's going to be parallels between TakeOver and NXT television. But Trent Seven believes in his student, and he throws that towel. He hurls it out into the Barclays Center crowd, and Tyler Bate starts crawling his way over. And we have a huge tag and a hot tag at that. Throws out the towel, which would lead to many, many critical kickouts on both sides of the ring. Unfortunately, Trent Seven's knee comes back into play, and total elimination would strike on Mustache Mountain. One, two, three, the Undisputed Era would retain much to the jubilation of the Barclays Center. I saw that match in full sale, and I was very, very upset I would not be able to witness something so great in TakeOver. Live in the crowd, and I did. This match was incredible. It took all the adrenaline up. It really got you going for the rest of the card. Great back and forth. I could go ad nauseum on the chemistry, like I mentioned before. All four of these guys got it. Tyler Bate, if you don't know that he's the future of this company, 
Well, now you know. The first ever UK champion, unfortunately, not able to secure another NXT title. But that's okay. The guy's just breaking into his mid-20s. He's still in his early 20s. The guy has plenty of time to win more gold, and his teacher and protege relationship with Trent Seven seems never faltering. I cannot wait to see what NXT UK does as far as tag teams go. To be perfectly disclosing with you guys, it's Sunday, a little bit after 4. I'm a week removed from SummerSlam and 8 days removed from TakeOver. And there is some NXT UK news, which I'm going to discuss after I talk about Pete Dunne versus Zach Gibson. After Gibson versus Dunne, I do want to cover some NXT UK Women's Championship news Although, you know this show is a spoiler-free zone. You do not have to worry about anything getting ruined for your visual experience. Let's jump back right into tag team action because jumping back into the ring and throwing their beards into the hat, into the throwing their beards into the ring at a shot at these titles are waiting in the wings, the War Raiders. The War Raiders bring the battle to the Undisputed Era, both in size, power, and and speed. After a great back and forth matchup with Mustache Mountain, the War Raiders would pillage for their gold. Harry Hansen flying all over the place, him and Roe making a statement that they want the gold. The Raiders are out, they're hunting, and who will be the War Raiders challengers come War Games? Will this rivalry with Mustache Mountain continue? Are we jumping straight into an NXT Championship match? Does all of Undisputed Era play a role when it comes to the War Games matchup again? Do we see a combination of the Undisputed Era take on other comers in a War Games scenario? How long can the Undisputed Era hold on to those NXT Tag Team Championships? Because the War Raiders made it clear before on NXT television that they're coming for those titles and definitely put an exclamation point on that statement after the matchup and NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. But let's jump into some singles action away from the tag team division for just a little bit with former tag team partners out at Royal Albert Hall. I'm talking about the, well, deemed by myself, the egotistical exhibition. No gold on the line in this one, just the spotlight. The Velveteen Dream versus EC3. Very parallel promoting for both of these superstars. The promo package showed just how similar they were, but just how different they are in their motives. Really parallel parallel personalities. The egos are huge. You really can't fit this much self-confidence inside an arena, even the size of the Barclays Center. Great matchup. Great back and forth. I mentioned that either of these guys can fit the character mold. It's not really a heel or face. It is confidence versus confidence. And a very confident Velveteen Dream in Brooklyn. The the notorious D-R-E-A-M with a very vivid message for Vince. Call me up, Vince. It's right there. It's right there if you miss it, which I admittedly did for the first couple seconds granted where I was sitting in the Barclays Center I was kind of on an angle in comparison to where the writing was but it's where the sun don't shine but the spotlight is on it call me up Vince says the notorious D-R-E-A-M the back and forth not just behind the mic existed but the back and forth chants from the audience existed for a little while EC3 coming out Not to the raucous ovation that I personally expected. If we're talking rich guy gimmicks in NXT, Bobby Roode at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 2 and TakeOver Brooklyn 3 definitely got the louder of of the two rich guys in the top 1% of the NXT spotlight. I mean, EC3 really, really not outclassed when it came to an ovation because he definitely got the NX3 chance. The crowd was behind him. It's hard to deny that kind of charisma, but Velveteen Dream has had his name on the tips of the NXT audience tongues ever since the rivalry with Aleister Black, deeming it worthy for us to chant his name. 
I don't know if it was made official or not, but the NXT audience is certainly behind Velveteen Dream. The overselling by Velveteen Dream is an absolute joy to watch live. Even getting a jacket thrown back at his face, he sold the living hell out of. Watching him take these huge punches by a guy of EC3's size, which is another thing, if you haven't seen it live, you really gotta see just how tan and how jacked EC3 is is in person. The power advantage for EC3 is clear. The overselling by Dream is a joy to watch. That was kind of the whole storytelling of this one. Dream was outpowered, but he was not outthought, and he was not outclassed when it came to strategy. A major Dream DT on the steel ramp would be a pivotal point in the match. I heard it from my side of the arena, but it was one of those spots where you're just angled, and it was a little easier to watch it on the monitor, but you heard the impact echo. That much was not lost on me, Team NXT. I heard the DDT. You heard that steel ramp shatter and shake when Dream hit it on EC3. Great match, though. Back and forth. There was a case to be made for both of these guys as title competitors. The BDE of NXT, the baddest dude ever, EC3, made it known on his very first night that he wanted the North American Championship. I still see EC3 vying for that championship and wanting the spotlight and wanting some gold to hold around his waist. But it would not be his night. Velveteen Dream would also make a case for himself, but possibly as an NXT World Championship competitor. Because after a sequence of Dream Valley drivers in the ring, on the ring apron, just about all the impact you could think for for and for EC3's lower back, it would all lead to a purple rainmaker angled just right on the heart of EC3 and to a overwhelming ovation. Velveteen Dream would pick up the win in the Barclays Center. So a big win for Dream, making a case for himself that he deserves where he stands in NXT. And can he possibly be? An NXT World Title competitor? Can EC3 rebuild himself? And take a couple wins along the way? Because he's promised us victory after victory after victory after victory. But has not been victorious when the shine when the when the lights are shining at their brightest. EC3 came to make this NX3. And he's 0 for 2 at a takeover event so far. Really difficult to bounce back, not winning the North American Championship ladder match, and not winning this match against his former tag team partner. But it's a guy who does not lack the confidence, will still make a case for himself, and possibly make a case for some other happenings in the world of NXT as well. But I'm going to cover that when I cover NXT television. I want to talk a little bit more about Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream is a perfect number one contender for NXT TakeOver War Games. It's in LA. The spotlights don't shine brighter than Hollywood. You have the perfect person to really get behind and who the crowd has already vocally made their support known for. And Velveteen Dream can be that antithesis while Johnny Gargano goes through what he's going through, which I am going to talk about at the end of the Last Man Standing match. And you also have the perfect evil within Tommaso Ciampa. And one moment versus one name, I think, kind of writes itself. Brooklyn saying the name of the victor of this one after a great match, though. Velveteen Dream victorious over EC3. Speaking of that North American title, the North American title would be defended right after this one. It would be Adam Cole, baby, taking on Ricochet, baby. In another match, which uh, I thought the crowd was very much split on. It's been a memorable year since debuting in Brooklyn for the Undisputed Era. Not formally with the name, but Adam Cole would make his first appearance on NXT television, jumping Drew McIntyre after his successful NXT championship claim 
and Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly after being singles opponents for Aleister Black would be joining Adam Cole in the ends of TakeOver Brooklyn 3. So it's been a memorable year, debuting in Brooklyn, winning in War Games, North American title for Adam Cole, and NXT Tag Team title gold for Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, and of course, consequently, Roderick Strong. Adam Cole vows that it's because he's special. It's not because about being good, it's not about being great, it's because he is a special competitor, he's a special superstar, but Ricochet vows he is the best and the best man to be the champion, a fighting champion, although I really don't see that case. If you listen to my predictions show, Ricochet, Adam Cole defended that title against the rough and tough Oni Lorcan and the last King of Scotland in Wolfgang. So the North American title has been defended against a North American and a man from Scotland, a Scot, a, f- a quality Scot in Wolfgang. It's been com- it's been defended across both the NXT and NXT UK division. That's what I'm trying to really get out here. So the whole you're not a fighting champion. He's defended that title a couple times since then, but his methods I will question, and I'll agree with Ricochet there. Does he hide behind the title? Does he hide behind the reinforcements of Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong? We saw their side effect that it had at the first title defense against Oni Lorcan. So a case for cowardice against Cole is there to be made. But let's jump right into the action in Brooklyn because when Ricochet made his entrance known, it felt like Spider-Man was coming to the New York City rescue. It was an epic entrance. It was some winged attire. It was regally shining and white. It really felt like a superhero had made his entrance known. Adam Cole, you can't say enough about how over this guy is. I mentioned that some of the reactions were done justice when I watched them back on TV, but that Adam Cole baby in Barclays baby might have been the loudest damn thing I heard in a professional wrestling audience pop in in quite some time. What an ovation for the leader of the Undisputed Era. It was match of the weekend. I thought it was going to be going into this one after a week removed from SummerSlam, having watched both back on television. Adam Cole and Ricochet are both special competitors. One of the, the most memorable spots. I can't even pick out one memorable spot. Yes, that moonsault to a super kick. Incredible. The hurricane, to, the hurricane Rana to the outside to the 6.30 to end the matchup, also an incredible spot. Both of these guys getting advantages in very iconic ways. Back and forth, constant and consistent action. Is Adam Cole a coward? Is Ricochet special? I'm going to say Adam Cole is a competitor and Ricochet is special. Ricochet makes the complex look simple, like that moonsault. To the shooting star press, Phoenix Splash. Wicked combo. Moro said it best. The guy is a walking cheat code. Left down, right up. Left down, right up. X square. X square. I think is for unlimited. Shout out to all the PlayStation 2 GTA players out there. Ricochet is a human cheat code. He defies all of the odds of physics. But the crazy counters by Cole. That moonsault to super kick had me out of my seat at home Ends in the stadium, and the Hurricane Rana to the outside. He would hunt down Adam Cole, discounting any attempt at any attempt at holding on to his title. And the 6:30 splash would assure us a new North American champion, the second North American champion, Ricochet, crowned in the Barclays Center. Who steps up first against Ricochet? I mentioned Velveteen Dream. I'd love to see him as a main NXT World Championship competitor to take on the also egotistical one moment having Tommaso Ciampa. It takes one moment and one opportunity for both of those guys to tear the roof off the place for the NXT World title. EC3, yeah, he can make a case, but I want to see somebody step up who's had a lot of momentum recently. A man who is tired of all the nonsense and I really feel like can give Ricochet that David versus Goliath feud 
in NXT. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm talking about the knockout artist, Cassius Ono. Cassius Ono stepping up to the plates, a suspect, a suspect indeed, in the Aleister Black attack. But also a worthy competitor on fire with the short-range victories on NXT television. The no-nonsense attitude. I'm going out there to hit you as hard as I can. Pick up a victory and pick up my paycheck. I really think that attitude could use a little slab of gold on his shoulder. And it would be a great feud for Ricochet. It would be a giant killer-esque Rey Mysterio versus Kevin Nash. Although not as great in stature, but the athleticism, without a doubt. Comparative, Cassius Ono, hard-hitting, strike-based style against the aerials of Ricochet. You could certainly sign me up for that one. Moving on to NXT women's action, though, before I pick up any more steam talking about the new North American champion, the biggest shock, in my personal opinion, this weekend would be the result of this one. The Queen of Spades, Shayna Baszler, taking on the Pirate Princess, Kyrie Sane, for the NXT Women's Championship. An existing Killer Instinct versus a developing Killer Instinct. We know of Shayna's ruthlessness, even if you, even if you followed her further back than just her antics in NXT, dismantling Aaliyah, taking out Dakota Kai's elbow for as long as she did. You go back to her MMA track record. The submission magician does not spell forgiveness. The saga between these two Mae Young Classic finalists stretches across almost a year at this point. The two first met in the finals of the Mae Young Classic. Kyrie would secure a victory. Shayna Baszler would defeat Kyrie Sane on NXT television. A victory that Shayna thought would vow people forgetting about the Mae Young Classic Finals. But no, this would all lead to the rubber match. And that one was this weekend. This past weekend, I should say. I'm I'm still in that SummerSlam takeover post-hype. The Kyrie submission skill. Let's talk actual in-ring. The submission skill from Kyrie has certainly shown recently with the stretch muffler hold and anchor down submissions being added to her arsenal. The insane aggression by Kyrie would unfortunately be taken out by uh, taken out on Aaliyah. Poor Aaliyah. Aaliyah's been on the ruthless side of both Shayna Baszler and Kyrie Sane. Shayna and Kyrie have both put Aaliyah through some torture. So Aaliyah's been on the ringer and uh you know, friendly fire, outside fire, it, it still hurts people. So what Aliyah's gone through at the hands of both Shayna Baszler and Kyrie, you take those two isolated insulin incidents alone, and it makes a really good case for both of these two as submission specialists and aggressive competitors. Shayna Baszler's aggression is unmatched, though, targeting Kyrie Sane's knee. Without the knee... Kyrie Sane cannot stand and hold her bridge for that anchor down submission, and she certainly can't climb the top rope to execute the insane elbow. So a really specified and strategic maneuver by Shayna Baszler in this one. I don't like the way I emphasize strategic there. So a strategic submission and striking based offense by Shayna in this one. They both vowed to be two changed competitors from nearly a year ago. I'd say so. I'd say Kyrie has gotten a chance to show her more aggressive side and Shayna Baszler has gotten a chance to step right up to the plate and antagonize the NXT Women's Champion. So that's why she was allowed opportunities sooner. I don't believe she deserves them more than Kyrie, but I think... Since the rivalry with Lacey Evans, that shot Kyrie up into the championship spotlight, whereas Ember Moon needed a villain, got a really good villain with Shayna Baszler, and that's what opened up the opportunities despite her losing the first ever Mae Young Classic. But the strikes would not not be soft on Kyrie, on Kyrie's side either. A flurry of elbows standing and diving off the top rope and otherwise... It was a lot of back and forth in this one. 
It was, you thought Shayna had it, you saw the Kirafuda clutch locked in, you didn't think Kyrie's fingers were going to quite grasp the bottom rope, and then she does something that you just love in an underdog. The hand died and then sprung right back up, and you could see it all over on her face how much Kyrie wanted this opportunity and to, and to secure her rightful treasure. It's always been it, it's always been in her sights. It's always been through that telescope that NXT Women's Champions. There's just been a couple rough waves in the Pirate Princess's way. It would not just be one holding out of the submission by Kyrie, but Kyrie would get caught after another attempt at an insane elbow. Just when you thought it was going to be over, you thought Shayna had it locked in and cinched in nice and tight for the final decision. Kyrie Sane, insane back roll, just holding down Shayna's shoulders long enough for a successful three count. Did not think it was going to go through. I had all the doubts in the world when I saw Kyrie roll back, and then you heard the bell, and it took me a couple seconds to realize we had a new NXT Women's Champion, but we have a new NXT Women's Champion. The Pirate Princess, Kyrie Sane, secures that treasure that she long sought out for in Brooklyn. What a great match between both these ladies. You can't state enough the improvement that Shayna Baszler has made in her transition from mixed martial arts to professional wrestling, but it was a real testament to her, able to hang with a veteran of women's wrestling like Kyrie Sane, a successful tournament winner, and now NXT Women's Champion. Tears in her eyes, tears in my eyes. I got a couple good pictures up on the Instagram of Kyrie Sane hoisting that NXT Women's title above her head. What a great moment and a heartwarming moment for all the fans in Brooklyn. But Baszler was not convinced, and nor are either of the other four horsewomen, Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir. Shout out to those two ladies in particular for making their NXT live circuit debuts. And another shout out to a woman I'm a huge fan of, the baddest woman on the planet, Ronda Rousey, for successfully winning her first title in WWE being the Raw Women's Championship in a very entertaining matchup with Alexa Bliss. Lots developing in the world of women's wrestling at the moment. May Young Classic 2 going on, or the tapings just concluded, and the finals will be at WWE Evolution in Long Island, which, shout out if you're listening to this and will also be attending that event. I just picked up my tickets recently, and... uh Hopefully there's going to be another podcast meetup I'll be able to more more so enjoy this time around. Lots developing in the world of women's wrestling. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the newest title in WWE in just a matter of moments. But from women's wrestling to a last man standing. Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT Championship. Really unfortunate circumstances surrounding Aleister Black. Aleister Black, groin injury, requiring surgery, taking him out of commission for this NXT Championship match. You felt it in the arena. You eavesdropped enough times. You heard a lot of people talking about it. Man, I wish this Aleister Black triple threat was still happening. Wish he was healthy. You didn't really feel it because the support for this matchup and this rivalry and this story as a whole is so incredibly looked after, but you could tell how badly Aleister Black was missed in that NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4 audience. But it would be another chapter in the DIY saga, the Rebel Heart versus the Black Heart, Johnny Wrestling versus Tommy Sports Entertainment in a last man standing match. Johnny Gargano, so consumed by hatred that he brought out his inner symbiote. Major shout-out to the Venom attire for Johnny Gargano. Gave me chills, my favorite character in the Marvel Universe. Gotta be, just based on looks. His impact on the Spider-Man universe. I'm, I'm a huge, huge Venom fan, and I'm looking forward to that movie. And I really got behind Johnny Gargano being influenced by his inner symbiote to unleash this gear. But the symphony of disdain for Tommaso Ciampa was a joy to be a part of. 
There was so much more and so many more four-letter words I wanted to say, but the asshole chance and the the fuck you champa chance would be ringing a plenty throughout the Barclays Center, and it was just an absolute joy to finally get to participate in my favorite entrance music in professional wrestling, disdain by the NXT audience for Tommaso Ciampa. Introductions, not necessary when it comes to Gargano and Ciampa. Not only do these guys know each other very well, but the audience knows knows them well enough that Johnny didn't even want to give Caleb Braxton a chance to introduce the now NXT champion. No introduction for the Blackheart, the Gargano assault, and the outside aggression would start up at the... As soon as... As soon as you spelled the word go, Johnny Gargano was attacking Tommaso Ciampa, clubbing to the back, absolutely putting the boots to him, and the outside aggression absolutely destroying the ring, lifting up the mats. We saw the the in-ring would get... The hardwood would get exposed, just like it did at TakeOver New Orleans. Lots of callbacks to their previous matches... The question for me, Team NXT going into this one, was what haven't these guys put each other through? And uh, they put each other through the Spanish announce table, this one. Tommaso Ciampa, a crash landing from the air raid crash. One of many crash moments from this matchup, but the first one would come at the Spanish announce table. And I really think I heard the phrase that can summarize this matchup actually come out of Tommaso Ciampa's mouth. The phrase to summarize this rivalry, we're not done by a long shot. Gives you chills, doesn't it? I mean, hearing it from Tommaso Ciampa probably gives you way more chills than it does coming from me. But we're not done by a long shot. If I could summarize this story in one phrase, it is definitely that one. What haven't these guys put each other through? They put each other through tables. Gargano would even put Tommaso Ciampa through a table facing the opposite way. Any innovation in a hardcore scenario, Johnny Gargano or Tommaso Ciampa is going to find it to personify and put into action the hatred that they feel for each other. A steel chair would be a quite favorable instrument in this matchup on both sides of it. But the first attempt would be at Tommaso Ciampa's already injured knee. The previous knee injured during their first Chicago matchup working as DIY against the Authors of Pain. That knee and the crutch that supported it definitely held a long-term standing in this DIY Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa rivalry. So the chair would play a lot into this matchup. Thrown at Ciampa's knee. The sleeper holds locked in. The chair set up in the corner. Johnny Gargano, it's summertime. Beautiful weather outside. How about a game of lawn darts for Tommaso Ciampa's head meeting the steel chair in the corner? And I really feel like the steel chair could have also influenced the ending of this matchup. And I'll talk about the ending after a couple more couple more high spots for me in this one. I mentioned the inverted table. I love how the table was stacked with the metal frame upwards. You could see the amount of pain on Tommaso Champa's face after he would get waved at and super kicked right through that table. Vicious, vicious stuff coming from Johnny Gargano and a lot of innovation with that table stack. Just that that metal bearing underneath, that's that's no joke. If you've gotten your finger stuck where it locks up, you know how much that hurts. Just imagine your back crashing through it, especially where that metal meets the angle. Two offensive trifectas by Tommaso Ciampa, even a tribute back to the forbidden name of Chris Benoit. And, I mean, the psycho killer also doing a uh, a three-German suplex sequence to mirror Chris Benoit's offense. The psycho killer mirroring Chris Benoit's off. I'm going to let you guys build the bridge and uh, and come to that conclusion yourself. But after those two trifectas, 
Tommaso Ciampa would attempt to take a seat, and Gargano would super kick him right out of that seat. Constant double nine counts, spot after spot. Fire extinguishers coming back into play. The crutch also rearing its ugly head in this rivalry once again. The bear ring floor. The wood. The DDT. This time, Gargano gets to redeem himself with the apron hanging DDT. The, the mirroring of the offense and this constant story and these reminders of what these guys have put each other through already, definitely at the forefront in this matchup. But my favorites, I covered all of those at a glance, but my favorite part of this matchup was definitely the beating that the Timekeepers area took. After another knee influenced by the steel chair, this time using it on the offensive side, Tommaso Ciampa would barricade down and attempt to bury the career of Johnny Gargano. Not just with barricade parts, not just with the steel chair, but with one of the workers themselves. A body-on-body attempt by Tommaso Ciampa to hold Gargano down for the 10 count. Piling debris and piling people would not keep Johnny Gargano down, though. Going forward in this one, though, we knew there was nothing holding down Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano can only be stopped by, you guessed it, Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano was the only thing standing in Johnny Gargano's way in this match. By the end of it, Tommaso Ciampa, handcuffed to the Titantron, would be pleading an apology to Johnny. Pleading an apology, even costing himself priceless seconds for his 10 counts. Tommaso Ciampa would reach a count of six and then force himself up and adjust it and just to hold on and make an attempt at remaining NXT champion. Johnny Gargano just really had to, he had to assault Tommaso Ciampa in such a way where the handcuffs were the only thing holding him and that he could not stand on that injured knee. No. No. Johnny Gargano was possessed by hatred in New Orleans. He was possessed by hatred and his judgment was clouded. I don't know what he was possessed by this match, Team NXT. I think he might have been possessed not by hatred, but by... Possessed by stupidity, I I guess, because he had him down. He had him down, and then guess what? Gargano would attempt to use his own knee. Granted, exposed, sharp, wound up, ready to strike... And striking it did, but it would not just strike the side of the head of the Sicilian psychopath. It would strike the speaker and the equipment and all of the stuff you don't want to hit when you're attempting to ram your knee into your opponent's face. Johnny Gargano stood and ran in the way of Johnny Gargano in this matchup. (sighs) Gargano would fall off of the set-up table on the outside to his demise as Tommaso Ciampa would roll off the entrance ramp and all it takes is one moment and all it takes is one foot for Tommaso Ciampa to still be NXT champion. Surviving the 10 count, did Johnny dislocate his knee? I mean, the profanity... That I could hear from my section? Could be. Could be. There's there's profanity to back the claim that his kneecap might have slipped south towards the shin bone. You don't know what the condition of Johnny Gargano could be. I'm hoping we find out this upcoming week of NXT television once all the action returns to Full Sail University. But there's a lot of profanity and there's a lot of pain on Johnny Gargano's face that uh, that can make an interesting case for just what kind of condition he is in. We know Aleister Black is out of commission. Is Johnny Gargano facing a similar... Is he facing a similar and parallel path? Is he out of commission as well? I'm really hoping we get some answers to that on the upcoming episodes of NXT TV. It took one foot. It took one moment. It took one 
seconds of outlasting your opponents, and Tommaso Ciampa is still NXT champion, forcibly making the ref raise his hands, and a visually scarring standoff would close the night in Brooklyn. Johnny Gargano once again sitting down, hand on head, hand on knee, knee in worse condition than you could picture it, and Champa stands there as champion. Visually scarring, heartbreaking stuff as any Johnny Gargano fan could attest to. So Tomaster Champ is still NXT champion. He's taken two out of four in the DIY saga. Johnny Gargano taking two also if we're dating as far back as the Cruiserweight Classic. But as far as strictly NXT action goes, Tommaso Ciampa has Johnny Gargano's number two matches in a row. Who knows what the next path for Johnny Wrestling is going to lead. What's next for the Blackheart? I'm really hoping it's a Velveteen Dream experience. But from Chicago to Nolans to Brooklyn, where does the DIY saga end exactly? Your guess is probably as good as mine here, Team NXT. I don't know. Do I want to see it come around full circle to Brooklyn again for WrestleMania weekend? Yeah. Would I mind if it goes into LA for another match? A little bit. I think they can use a break, and I mentioned Velveteen Dream's case for a NXT title spot. Once once the bright lights of Los Angeles are shining. Computer's dying, that's how long I'm talking about NXT here for. Where does it go from here? Does it go up until WrestleMania weekend? Where do you want to see the DIY saga conclude? Do you ever want to see the DIY saga conclude? Why is this the best rivalry in professional wrestling? What did you think of TakeOver Brooklyn 4? Give me all of your thoughts, Team NXT. That wraps up the TakeOver Brooklyn 4 coverage. Thank you for listening to this part. I'm going to jump right in to NXT television for August 20. 22nd, 22nd, August 22nd. I had to do a little math there. It was uh, mom's birthday is on the 15th, so uh, just add a week from there. And uh, August 22nd edition of NXT television. couple days removed from all the action of TakeOver. Canonically, canonically on NXT television, we're removed from TakeOver. So that means there's new competitors, and who will Kyrie Sane's first competitor be? for that NXT Women's Championship. There's two very accomplished athletes stepping up to each other who can very well be Women's Championship competitors sooner than later. Deanna Perazzo, the Virtuosa, the Fujiwara Armbar Specialist, the New Jersey native, a person I am very much a fan of, the beau of the villain Marty Skrull. Also, shout out if uh, if you didn't know that. And, of course taking on the EST of NXT, the recently back from injury, the always boasting of bravado, Bianca Belair. The EST versus the Virtuosa would bring technical supremacy versus a power game. Both impressive athletes with Mae Young Classic experience, Deanna Perazzo, the more experienced in-ring competitor, but you really can't coach the natural athleticism and the natural gifts that Bianca Belair has for sports. And the power is unmatched, and it really came down to the power game in this one. Bianca Belair, able to withstand the technical and impressive assault by Deanna Perazzo, very good back-and-forth matchup for these ladies, proving that they have a case as a future competitor for that title, but it would all lead back to the power game. The it's a great burning hammer gone attitude adjustment falcon arrow face buster sort of maneuver. It's a great finisher for Bianca Belair. I like it better than the reverse power bomb she had been doing a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure what the name of it is, but just absolutely face planting Diana Perazzo would seal the victory for the EST. So the EST of NXT, Bianca Belair, returning to television and getting a decisive win over a favorable competitor in Deanna Perazzo. That's not one small win. 
That's not a small victory for Bianca Belair. If you want to come back to TV and you want to show that you've rehabbed injury and you're 100% again, you go after somebody with the resume that Deanna Perazzo has. And that's a big win for Bianca Belair. Is Bianca Belair Kyrie Sane's first opponent? I don't know. I think there's a lot of rebuilding period in the NXT Women's Division right now. I think the most improved superstar in all of NXT right now is a woman, and I think that's Lacey Evans. I think the Kyrie Sane and Lacey Evans... I know we don't see a lot of rivalries renewed in NXT, but I could see it in two situations right now. I can see Velveteen Dream and Ricochet being revisited as another rivalry, this time with the championship in play, and I could see the same principle being in effect for Kyrie Sane and Lacey Evans if Lacey Evans continues her winning ways. But Bianca Belair and Deanna Perazzo will definitely be future NXT women's number one contenders. But the number one contender for the UK title is still Liverpool's number one in Zach Gibson. Zach Gibson with an unsuccessful bout for the for the UK title in Royal Albert Hall, hopes to get another shot and a different result in the Barclays Center. The bruiserweight, Pete Dunne, taking on Zach Gibson in a UK tournament rematch. And might I just say, Pete Dunne gets a resounding reaction everywhere he goes. All around the world, it's a great reception for the bruiserweight. Bruiserweight was bellowed all throughout Brooklyn in the Barclays Center. Pete Dunne deserves that kind of ovation. Another really young and incredible talent. Both of these guys with similar submission styles. The cruelty to one another cannot be understated as well as the joint manipulation. We've seen Pete Dunne manipulate more joints than Tommy Chong. Zach Gibson does not slack in that department either especially with the Shankly Gates submission destroying somebody's shoulder. It was shot for shot, stance for stance, matching each other with clubbing bridges. At, at some, there was just some unbelievable spots in this match. You can definitely tell that Dunn and Gibson not only like enjoying with each other, enjoy working with each other, but they're damn good at it. They pulled out all the stops against each other. A moonsault by Pete Dunne. When do you really ever see the bruiserweight take his feet off the ground? You see a targeted offense with Pete Dunne, this time throwing all caution to the winds, throwing all of his weight at the... Well, throwing all of the weight of the bruiserweight at Zach Gibson. The Shankly Gates offense would be applied after a lot more brutal offense to that Pete, to Pete Dunne's shoulder but a very innovative rope break by the Bruiserweight as well, biting the rope to force the break of the submission. My father always says when he watches with me, there's only one rule in professional wrestling, and that is the rope break. The only one true, always enforced rule by the referee, 100% of the time, has to be that five count when the rope break is in play for a exhibition singles match. And boy, did Pete Dunne know that and enforce that break to happen by any means necessary. Even using his teeth, sans mouthpiece, uh, that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure WWE staff does all they can to keep things sanitary, but that's just nasty. Dunne might have some broken teeth after chomping down on that rope after this one. Zach Gibson would go to dispose of that mouthpiece to really take the psychological edge out of Dunne. But this strategy and this plan would come to a bitter end. The pump handle face buster by Pete Dunne would secure another victory and successful title defense for the Bruiserweight. Dunne still holds the gold. Dunne still holding the gold. Ricochet North American Championship. And guess what? There's a lot of gold to behold in next week's NXT television matchup. The United Kingdom champion Pete Dunne will team with North American champion Ricochet in continuing both of their history and rivalries with the Undisputed Era. The tag team champions Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong take on UK and North American champions Pete Dunne and Ricochet next week. 
What an exciting tag team match. So much gold to behold. Really impressive looking titles too. I love that North American title. I think the WWE UK title is the best looking belt in the system right now across any brand. Whether it be Raw, SmackDown, NXT, 205 Live, NXT UK. <sighs> Both of those titles, absolute sight to behold. And I'm a big fan of the new and, well, not so new at this point. Practically a year old. NXT Tag Team titles. Before I do my social media shoutouts and roundup, I'm going to do a little bit of discussion on the UK scene. At the moment, Pete Dunne and Zach Gibson, great chemistry. Another another, another breaking ground of a match for the UK division happening in Brooklyn. I know a lot of people like to skip the post-takeover matchup of NXT just because it is the pre-show. Post-show, there is about I'd say 20-25 minutes worth of just TakeOver coverage. But there's also some interviews and things worth seeing. Like the setup for the UK and North American champion teaming together against the Undisputed Era. You missed a gold segment just because anything Kyle O'Reilly touches is entertaining and turns to gold. You miss uh, EC3. EC3 played a little bit of Sherlock Holmes and pointed his finger at Lars Sullivan for the major suspect at being the one who attacked Aleister Black as redemption for his broken jaw, which, I mean, EC3 probably just took all of my estimation and threw it up on NXT television for me. Yeah, that's that's definitely what happened. I mean, Lars Sullivan was my number one suspect too, but now that it's been brought up and shown in the light of NXT Day, of course, I fully anticipate myself being wrong on that one, but at least... uh, at least they're going somewhere with a Lars Sullivan accusation. EC3 versus Lars. I don't know if it's going to be a confrontation or a matchup, but I feel like these two are going to cross paths next week as well. But back to UK action. The first ever NXT UK Women's Champion would also be crowned this weekend. I'm not going to go into any spoilers on the NXT UK tapings. I'm going to start discussing NXT UK just like when the rest of us can see it. I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to go and say, oh, by the way, this, this, and this happens, and we have a new NXT. No. No. Any new champions that come up, I'm going to watch them happen first time when they're broadcast, just like you guys. It's going to happen. It's going to happen real soon, but the first ever NXT UK Women's Champion would be crowned this weekend. Very gorgeous title, White strap looks very similar to the current WWE United Kingdom Championship. And uh, my heavy favorite for winning this title is Millie McKenzie, only because I've kept up with Millie McKenzie as a fan of UK women's wrestling. She was the talent that first stood out to me besides Tony Storm. And whereas Tony Storm was a heavy favorite with me winning the Mae Young Classic 2. I wouldn't mind see her winning the NXT UK championship, but I feel like if it's going to parallel the NXT, the excuse me, WWE United Kingdom champion and for the first time be somebody who's incredibly impressive but also incredibly young, we had it happen with Tyler Bate. Let's have it happen with Millie McKenzie. Millie McKenzie, suplex Millie is my pick for NXT UK women's champion. Give me all your thoughts whether you're from the U.S., the U.K., or other, on what's to happen in the upcoming weeks of NXT television. But I'm almost going an hour. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4 episode. It's my favorite events of the year. It's like a WrestleMania weekend. The past four years at Barclays Center have been incredible. I cannot wait for what will be presumably NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 5 parallel to WrestleMania weekends coming up in April. But from here to there, follow all of my social media at podcast underscore UF is the Twitter. You'll find me live tweeting Raw and SmackDown and spoiler free live tweeting NXT television occasionally as well. Thank you for all the new followers. Let's get to 1200 or maybe even past that for TakeOver War Games. Be sure to look me up on Facebook and like the page. I just actually updated the logo to what the logo probably should have been a number of months ago. 
be sure to follow the Instagram at Undisputed Future Podcast, all one word. You'll see a couple events, pictures from SummerSlam and TakeOver Weekend. You'll see pictures of Colin, the Shiba Inu mix and mascot for Team NXT also. Thank you for listening to me on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that be SoundCloud, where the RSS feed is hosted, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox.fm, which my good friends and collaborator for TakeOver Brooklyn for Predictions show, Warren Hayes, said, hey, your podcast is on there also. So any third-party site, any way you listen to me, know it is highly appreciated. I cannot do this without you guys supporting me. I am CD, Danny Mack. Thank you for joining me on the Undisputed Future Podcast, Episode 66. Be sure to tune in next week where I'm covering whatever happens between EC3 and the Leviathan Lars Sullivan, as well as the Undisputed Era Tag Team Champions take on the WWE UK Champion Pete Dunne ends the North American Champion Ricochet in Tag Team Action next week. Thank you guys again. Have a great week. And happy Rusev Day.